Hello and welcome to Behind the Bearcat. This is the podcast where the Northwest Missouri State University Career Services Office chats with Northwest faculty, staff, students, alumni, and friends to hear about their career journeys, how they got to where they are, and how they became Bearcats. I'm Northwest Internship Coordinator Travis Klein. And I'm the Assistant Director of Career Services, Hannah Christian. And today's guest on our podcast hails originally from Granada. She is an assistant professor of sociology here at Northwest, and she came in 2019. Please welcome Dr. Giselle Greenidge. So excited to have you on the podcast. Thank you. Thanks for having me. All right. So we were kind of discussing this before. Tell us what exactly does an assistant professor of sociology, what is sociology? Well, I teach um, a number of different classes. I teach general sociology, which is sort of the foundational course in sociology. Some institutions, it may be intro to sociology or introduction to sociology. Um, I also teach research methods in social sciences, social stratification, and race and ethnic relations. Um, And so sociology, in terms of the discipline, is really the study of human relationships and social structures, as well as uh, the study of institutions like uh, churches, schools, the family, etc., And so uh, it's very broad, as you can tell. Uh, We study a lot of different topics from, you know, poverty to culture to social life in general, behavior and so forth. I like to start out kind of going way back in time and asking people, what was your first job? My first job was actually in college. Um, I attended a two-year college in Grenada, And before I finished, a staff member told me about an opportunity with the Board of Tourism in Grenada. And it was basically sort of like a marketing intern for the World Cup. Um, Back in 2007, Grenada was hosting the Cricket World Cup. And so I was responsible for greeting visitors who came on the island for the competition and for collecting Uh, data from the visitors as well. So that's what I did. Uh, It was pretty short, just in the summer of 2007. And once I graduated from college, I went on to become a high school teacher in Grenada for two years. So you went to college in Grenada. So what did you, what was your study there? So uh, for my associate's degree, I studied foreign languages And I also studied um, English and literature. Um, And so at the high school level, I was able to teach uh, English and literature there. So you actually went and taught that after you graduated? Yes. That's already, so, so just having that kind of internship experience and then teaching, that's already a huge amount of experience in, in like a, a broad kind of range of things. Yes. That's really cool. Had you always wanted to teach? I had an interest in teaching from a very young or early age. Um, But I also think in Grenada at the time, it was the norm to become a teacher or be a lawyer or doctor. It was pretty much what everybody talked about or what your family, you know, told you that you needed to do. So um, right off, you know, college, I, you know, thought, that was something that I needed to do. (laughs) 
How long did you teach then at that level? I taught for two years at the high school level, and then I moved to the U.S. to further my studies, and then I taught here as well before came in, before coming to Northwest. Can you talk to me about your thought process there? Like, did you always want to kind of get more education, or what was your what was your thought process for that? Yes, um, I definitely knew that I wanted to further my studies, but. Uh, my family told me that um, it was necessary to at least have two years of teaching before I went off to study. And so I did that. And in the process of, you know, thinking about different programs and where I was going to go, um, I attended a few sessions, like a college fair uh, that was held in Grenada, where different schools would sort of market uh, their programs. And there was a school... Uh, by the name of Cameron University, they had a representative at the fair, and I was able to learn more about them and the programs that they offered. And I ended up attending Cameron University in Oklahoma, uh, where I did my bachelor's degree and my first master's degree. And what were those degrees in? So my bachelor's was in international languages, and I did two minors. Uh, in English and in political science. And my first master's was in um, merchant, sorry, behavioral sciences. I did a second master's in merchandising, but at another institution at the University of North Texas. That is so fascinating. You have like a lot of ranges of interests and, and experiences. Did you think So if your family asked you to teach for two years, do you think that was a good, was that a good piece of advice? Um, And what did you gain out of that? I think it was a good piece of advice for a number of reasons. Um, I think it taught me a lot about work in general, you know, and having a good work ethic. Um, It taught me a lot about, you know, professionalism and organization and communicating with students. And it sort of gave me that, you know, foundation to teaching. So by the time I got to um, the U.S. and I became, you know, a teaching fellow and teaching assistant, I had that experience already, you know, working with students, even though it was at a different level. And it sounds like all those things really tie all back together to what you do as a sociology professor now. I mean, political science, English, all those sorts of things, they all kind of work all together. So obviously you're Dr. Greenidge, right? So you went and got a PhD. Talk to me about that process. Yes. So while doing uh, my master's in merchandising, during the research process, while I was doing my thesis, I realized that I was using a lot of uh, sociological theories to explain my findings. And, and I became fascinated with, you know, the field of sociology from there. And I wanted to learn more about sociology and figure out, you know, how I can tie this into my research. And so after uh, completing my master's in merchandising, I went on to pursue a PhD in sociology at the same institution, um, which is the University of North Texas. And um, I mainly focused on um, social stratification and what is called global and comparative sociology, which we just call globalization for short. Talk to us about your dissertation. So for my dissertation, I wanted to now combine all of the knowledge that I had gained in these different subject areas. And, you know, as you've mentioned, I have a very wide range of interest 
um, areas. And so I basically looked at the role of fashion against the majority culture in the U.S. So I examined how dress, you know, plays a very significant role in social movements, particularly uh, social movements that include Black males. And so I study the dress of Black males uh, in these different social movements throughout the U.S. from 1910 all the way to 2015. And I then looked at whether or not dress can tell me something about sentiment or mood in society, if mood is positive or negative in that period based on the clothing that the individuals wore. So for example, in like the 60s where you had the Black Panthers, um, I looked at or studied, you know, their dress and what that communicated in terms of mood. That's really cool. Yeah, that's fascinating. So how did you get to Northwest then? You were, you know, you were in Oklahoma, to, you know, doing master's programs, and then you went to Northern Texas. So how'd you end up in Northwest Missouri after that? So in the last year of my doctoral program, um, I started looking at the job market, and I found the position on higher ed. Um, and they usually post a number of jobs in higher education. And that is where I actually saw the posting for Northwest and that they were looking for um, an assistant professor in sociology. And based on the job description, all of the courses that I had taught before, you know, were on that description. So I thought it would have been a great fit. I had already, you know, gained some teaching experience in those areas. And so I decided to apply and then um, I remember flying in for my campus visit in April of 2019. And I um, got noticed that I was um, receiving the position in, I believe, I believe it was a week or two later. So by late April, I knew that I was going to be coming to Northwest. Can you talk to me about what it has been like to kind of have your first university um, teaching position like as a as an assistant professor? I think a lot of people have, you know, you you see professors come and teach and you just assume that's what they do. But can you talk to us about your experience? It's been challenging because, you know, you do have students who are um, in quarantine and sometimes they're you know, out of quarantine, they're back in class, and then they have to leave again. So um, there's a lot of that going on and trying to ensure that they're still, you know, getting the material, and they're still learning, even though they're in quarantine or in isolation. But apart from that, there's also, you know, service that we are, you know, required to do as well. So I'm still involved in different, you know, service activities, but no, it's mainly through Zoom um, rather than, you know, face-to-face. And then there's also that research component. So I'm still, you know, doing research, but not really field research. I'm not interviewing people or doing a lot of qualitative research. I'm more doing um, a lot of writing or at least trying to get ahead and do a lot of the writing now. So hopefully by the end of this whole pandemic, I can, you know, go out into the field and conduct, you know, interviews and different things that I need to do to complete or wrap up 
uh, the research process. So a lot of it is being done, I would say, online rather than face-to-face. But for uh, all of my classes, I'm still uh, teaching face-to-face. I have only one online course, which was scheduled to be online uh, even before the pandemic. What are some of the teaching challenges that you found to be most challenging during this kind of weird fall semester? I would say uh, one of the major challenges is really students not being able to, I would say, connect, like have the resources that they need. Uh, For example, I had a lot of students who do not have um, proper internet connection at home. And so that can be a struggle, um, keeping them engaged and involved in class. So I've seen that a lot this semester as well as throughout the summer, and even a little bit in the spring as well, when the pandemic really, you know, kind of took off. So I would, I would say that is a huge um, issue and just trying to keep students engaged because there's a lot going on as well and students' families are, you know, getting sick and people are losing their jobs. And so I think that is taking a toll on students mentally as well and just trying to, you know, ensure them that everything will be okay and, um, you know, trying to keep them engaged in the coursework as well you know, even though a lot is going on at the same time. So I think that's the major challenge. Let's switch gears a little bit. If I'm a student and I, uh, I'm very interested in sociology, um, what can I do with that? Maybe if I want to, if I decide I want to graduate with a bachelor's degree in sociology, I do a lot of job searching and I'm not really sure what I can do with that type of degree. So at Northwest, uh, we do not have a major in sociology. We have a minor in sociology, but you can still use your minor in a wide variety of areas. The careers are very diverse. Uh, You can find many sociologists in research um, as well as in um, government positions, uh, data analyst, policy analyst. Um, you also tend to find a lot of sociologists in the correction system as teachers, uh, in sales and marketing as well. So it's a wide range and as well as uh, social services is also popular as counselors, psychologists and so forth. I try to help students when they come in. So say, for example, if they have a hard you know, like, so data science, for example, if that's their major or computer science, and they don't know what to do for a minor, I always try to tell them, you know, pick something that's not in that vein. But it sounds to me like maybe I should be selling sociology a little bit more than I am, right? Because it sounds like it pairs with a wide variety of majors. Yes, it does. All right. That's, that's cool. See, I learn something every single day whenever I do these podcasts. So I'm interested, you you taught high school for two years, and then you taught here as well, and now you teach college. What, what are the differences that you've noticed between high school-age students and your college-age students? I would assume there's vast differences between the two. Yes, I would say at the high school level, I would say students are a little bit less independent, and so they're more dependent on the instructor, whereas at the college or university level, students tend to be more independent by then. And so 
you know, you don't have to coddle them as much as you would in high school. Uh, so that's one main difference. I would also say uh, teaching methods are different in the high school level and especially in Grenada. Uh, most professors or instructors would lecture for the most part, whereas at the college and university level here, well, at least in my classes, I try to incorporate a combination of different teaching styles and, te you know, different teaching method, uh, methods and techniques. So I do, you know, some lecturing, some class discussions, um, you know, quizzes, uh, they have their regular exams and so forth, group work or group activity, class activities, online activities. Um, so I think that's also a difference because in high school, we mainly lecture and the students do not really get to, you know, interact or do, you know, group work or a lot of group projects. We'll also kind of say that you've been really good to partner with career services and, and to take advantage of, I think, bringing in all of the resources that are really accessible here and, and that kind of has impressed us from the very beginning when you reached out to us when you first started. So we appreciate partnering with you on those types of things. Thank you. Thanks. And thanks for coming. I thought those were, you know, really great to get students, you know, thinking about, you know, their resumes and, um, you know, how to apply for internships and the importance of internships. And so I tried to incorporate those into classes as well, which you know, would not have been something I would have done at the high school level as well. So can you tell us a little bit about Grenada for maybe people who are listening who don't know where it is or, or anything about it at all? Uh, so Grenada is a very small island uh, located in the Caribbean or the West Indies. It is to the southern part of the Caribbean. So it's very close to South America very close to Trinidad and Venezuela, Suriname, and so forth. It is known as the Isle of Spice uh, because at one point in time, we were a major producer of nutmeg and other spices. The main industry is tourism. And so that industry provides a lot of the you know, foreign currency, foreign exchange uh, that we have on the island. English is the national language, and I would say that we follow a British system or education system as predominantly, uh, I would say, British. You can still find a lot of British names, uh, people's last names, or even different parts of the island. Uh, you'll also find, you know, French names and Spanish names since we had the Spaniards and the French on the island as well. So they're sort of a mix of culture, English, French, and Spanish. I have some friends, uh, childhood friends who lived actually in Suriname. <laughs> so yeah, so um, it, it was just, it was very interesting to learn about the, they, they were Dutch, you know, primarily Dutch culture there. So um, how many people, how, what's the population? Approximately 110,000. So it's very small. That's very cool. Everybody pretty much knows, you know, everyone, or at least, you know, a family member of that person. Uh, did you have parents who were teachers? No, uh, my mom actually worked in parliament as a Hansard reporter. And my dad worked as a mechanic and as a taxi driver. 
uh, mainly for tourists. So he would take the tourists around the island and give tours, etc. So, so let's talk about tourism. So when you um, when you say tourism is the main industry there, uh, people come vacations. Like, tell talk to me about what that actually means. Yes. So um, people mainly visit the island uh, on vacation. People. A visit for you know their weddings or for special occasions or just you know to relax. Uh, we tend to get a lot of tourists from the U.S. as well as from England, and then a few countries, um, a few other countries in Europe like France, Spain. Yeah, I never thought about going to Grenada, but you know, now you made me interested in visiting there. It is um, very popular. Uh, it's very peaceful. Uh, crime rate is very low. Uh, the people are very friendly and welcoming. Um, and so a lot of people tend to go to Grenada because of those things as well. And it's sunny all through the year. There is no cold weather or winter. It's pretty much summer every month. Oh, we have a rainy season and a dry season, but that's about it. Talk to us about coming to, I know maybe North Texas, or I'm not sure what part of Oklahoma you were in. Some parts of Oklahoma are like Texas anyway, but especially coming to Maryville, um, that's quite a, there's definitely winter here. How, how was that? <laughs> uh, it was a huge change for me uh, because I am accustomed with that 80 degree, 90 degree weather. And I first moved to um, Lawton, Oklahoma. It's not as cold as Maryville, I would say. But it was the first time that I experienced winter and, you know, extreme cold weather. And then I sort of adapted or got accustomed to it. And then moving to Texas, you know, there's also a lot of warm warmth, I, I would say, <laughs> um, compared to Maryville. Uh, it doesn't snow as much um, in Texas as it does here. And I remember that whenever it snowed in Texas, we would close. So our schools, schools, everything would pretty much close down except for a few business places. And so coming here, that has also been an adjustment because you know, school still goes on, work still goes on, even though it snows and you have uh, extreme, you know, cold temperatures here. So I had to adjust to that. But I think I'm coping well and doing well so far. I've always been quite a lot, had quite a lot of friends who were um, international students. My roommate was international. And um, although she came from a cold place. I had a lot of friends who maybe were from, you know, the South of India or who were always were from somewhere where it was always warm. And I think we who are used to Maryville weather, <laughs> if you can ever get used to it, um, you kind of you forget about those types of like regional things that affect your friends who move here from somewhere else. It's something that we don't even think about. That's always one of my favorite days on campus. The first time it snows every term, like in the spring term, because the international students who have never seen snow are out taking pictures. And it's it's just the, the joy on their faces always makes me super happy. So even though it's snowing and nobody really loves that, it's always that's always awesome to see the first yeah. time that they see that. They get tired of it very quickly, I think. But the <laughs> yeah. first time's magical. So. And then after that, it hits you. Like, I am cold. I need to run inside. <laughs> You have been pretty successful um, in finding new opportunities for yourself. You know, you had a really cool internship and you taught and you've managed to get several uh, graduate degrees. 
Can you talk to me about if I'm someone who's maybe looking for a job, maybe if I'm a student or if I'm just a, a job seeker, what are some tips that you can give me to help me be successful in finding something that I'm looking for? I would say first, you know, examine your interest. So what are some things you're interested in or things that you're passionate about? I would say first to look at that and then also, you know, do a wide search, you know, see what's out there. Try not to be closed minded, keep an open mind, because sometimes you may think that a particular position entails one set of things and then you find out that's not the case and you may actually like it. So I would say, you know, be open to, you know, different positions, different ideas, but also keep in mind what you're passionate about, what you're interested in. I would also advise uh, to network with people, speak with people within that field to get a field as to their experiences and maybe what that job entails if you're not exactly sure or, you know, maybe you're not finding enough information online or you're still skeptical about something, I would say reach out to individuals and speak to those people who have experience uh, within those uh, areas and then go from there. And then obviously you can do internships or fellowships that would also give you, you know, the hands-on experience and, you know, first-hand knowledge so that you'll know if that's a good fit for you in the future. I think something you said there about talking to someone who's actually done the work is that's one of the areas that we try to help students understand. It's almost impossible to know what actually happens in a job. So if you have the opportunity to get a few words with the person who does the job, that can be a huge insight for you or an investment for you. If you can ask questions of that person who's doing the work, because often, like you said, the work that you do from the inside is not the same as what someone might think the job entails. Or sometimes what you see posted uh, can be generic at times, can be a little bit general. And so you don't really get to learn the nitty gritty, I would say, of the job until you start speaking to people or until you actually get into the position and you start doing the work. Dr. Greenidge, as you've been here almost two years, <laughs> can you tell me what it means to you to be a Bearcat? I would say from my limited um, experience uh, so far, I would say to be a Bearcat means to be um, successful, uh, not only, you know, student success, but I think here we also focus on, you know, faculty and staff success. I would also say uh, it means excellence and being a well-rounded individual, you know, not only in academics, but in, you know, extracurricular activities and community work. And finally, I would say um, it means caring for individuals regardless of their uh, background, regardless of their race, ethnicity, gender, and so forth. Awesome. Yeah. Thank you for that insight. Before we go, is there anything else that you would like to share or anything you would like to say? I would just um, share, um, especially with students in this day and age, you know, that they should think about being innovative, 
because there's a lot of competition in the market. So, um, you know, to think about ways of being innovative and creative and standing out, I think that would also give you an advantage in your career as well. And even in grad school, if they're thinking of going on to um, graduate school, you know, keep those things in mind. All right. Thank you for your great advice. (laughs) It was awesome to have you on our podcast. Thank you so much for having me. Thank you. All right. Well, that will do it for another episode of Behind the Bearcat, and we'll talk to you next time.